New Media Comedy Worldwide Studios. New Media Comedy Worldwide presents Comedy Legacy Series with Jim Mendrinos. And now, your host, Jim Mendrinos. Hello, everybody. This is Jim Mendrinos, and welcome to the Comedy Legacy Series. We have a really fun guest today. Um, and stand-up is a great journey, and through the journey, you do lots of different things. Our guest today has been uh, a television show host. He's been in movies and on television shows. He's done late-night shows such as Letterman. Um, he's done his own Comedy Central uh, specials. He has uh, he's done corporate gigs, casino gigs, cruise ship gigs, college gigs over the years, um, and he's got a very interesting perspective. But that's not the reason why I wanted to bring him on today. I wanted to bring him on because he's one of the few comics that truly embraces and dwells on the more happy times in his life. A lot of comedy can be very negative. His is very positive. And I wanted to talk to him about that. So uh, we're going to spend about an hour together. Hope you welcome our guest for today, Mr. Wally Collins. All right. So this is a, a fun podcast for me because... I get to bring in somebody that I, I've known for a lot of years. Let's not let's yeah, not go to the that. number of years. Let's be safe and say that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, it's gonna be fun for me to bring him up on a podcast because he's actually introduced me on TV, which is something that uh, we'll get into. Wow! Remember that? <laughs> Didn't yeah. think I'd whip that out right away, did yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. Oh man, he's going back those days. Okay, I'm going back. Uh, so we want to talk to Wally about uh, all things comedy, especially the performance of it. So, uh, Wally Collins, thank you so much for being here. And uh, wow. how is the pandemic treating you? Because we're recording mid-pandemic. How, how is it treating me? Yeah, uh, are you holding up? Yeah, man. It's you know, it's it's such a day by day thing, man. It's, oh, you know, um, I'm trying, you know, just trying to find different things to do, challenge myself. You know, it may be exercising, it may be nutrition, it may be comedy, it may be music. Um, you know, it may be uh, just. Uh, taking some photos. So I live by the river, you know, walking by the river, taking photos. So every day it's, it's a different, uh, something, something different. Yeah. Keep your mind going. Have you been yeah. doing many zoom shows? Yeah. Um, it's kind of cool. The, the very, actually the very first one I did was in uh, Holland and, um, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. And, um, it was, well, you have to learn that the timing that, um, there, you know, there's a timing, there's a delay. And yeah you don't get that immediate response. So, um, and also too, um, which, which helps is that you can look at the, uh, the gallery and when you look at the gallery, you can see people laughing or smiling. So you know what jokes to stay on or move on or whatever. But um, that's the only thing that I've pretty much learned is that just gotta, you gotta slow down uh, with the jokes and the setups and punchlines and, and patience. The pacing is different. Yeah, the pacing is definitely way different. Um, I would think it would be easier for somebody like you, who's a more natural performer, to judge the crowd than somebody who's a natural writer to judge the crowd. Do you, do you mm -hmm. find that it's been an advantage? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm definitely a performer. Um, I'm definitely one of those kind of people that kind of like throw it out and see what kind of response I get back from the audience. And mm -hmm. that's how, you know, how much I give, how much I, how much I need to give, how much I need to pull back on um yeah i, I definitely uh, am like a, a, a in the moment kind of a entertainer yeah so for for a lot of us for guys like me that are very much in their notebook and write it down to 
the slow, the slightest nuance. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit more difficult for us. Yeah. So I want to talk about that because you're known as a great performer. I mean, you, when you walk in a room, other comics just go in to watch you, wow. to watch your work. So that's that's always fun. But yet, or I hold the money, and that's what they're saying. Well, if you're holding the money, we all follow you. Yeah, right. But, but the the other side of it is your material is also really good. There's right. a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a lot of performers who are just you know really solid performers that never bother to develop the writing. And over the years, it seems like you've gotten more and more intricate with mm. your writing. Was that yeah. a conscious choice? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, it was one of those things where when I was teaching, I was saying to my to my students, "What's what separates you from?" You know everybody else. Why should people? Why should people pay the hard-earned money to listen and pay? You know, and paying to see you. What makes you different? So um, I had to, you know, kind of like you know, lift my own lesson. You know, practice what I preach, so to speak. Yeah. And I went back and looked at my jokes, and I'm like, eh, they're probably fun performance-wise, but why not try to be as clever as I possibly can be uh, with the actual joke? So maybe use, you know, add, that's part of my arsenal. You know, being a performer. And then being, you know, a good writer, the best writer that I can be. Now, I want to talk to you about one bit in particular that you, that you have, um, because I love I love the fact that you make the audience squirm and laugh at the same time. I yeah. Think the, the bit I'm, I'm going to go for um, the police description bit, where you describe oh, oh, everything uh, but <laughs> the, the um, uh, was that the one he likes chicken kind of thing? Yeah, 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 that one. Um, now, when, when you design that, um, and for those of you that haven't seen it, I'm sure Wally has it online. If you do, I'll find it and, uh, and I'll link this to it. But when you're doing a bit like that, where you know the audience is going to squirm, particularly white members of the audience are going to squirm immensely, um, right. you seem to slow it down. Yeah. You seem to really take your time with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, because I'm going to tell you, man, it's, it's a narcissistic thing. I'll, I'll admit it. Okay. Um, because I know I, I, I got their trust, so to speak, before I laid that joke on them, you know, uh, uh, I have the audience trust, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, he's a harmless black guy, you know, he's, he's that guy, he's the manager at, you know, at Best Buy, you know, and, um, but I, I do want to show them that I am conscious of, you know, what's going on in the world. And, and it makes, it, it's really weird. It's almost like they don't want to be reminded that, you know, they do, they, they do do these things. And if I'm a buddy of theirs, I definitely want to extend to them, hey, listen, if I'm a friend of yours now, I want to make you conscious of things that you do, you know, to, to, to black folks or, you know, people of color. So in a fun way, if it's, if it's uncomfortable, okay, fine, but the point is, that check yourself and understand that you know this is this is a habit or something that um, that you know that you do in your daily life to so to speak um, get through or how to describe you know someone of color. Yeah, you and I get to work together, or we have before pandemic, because um, we work a lot of the same clubs. We work out them, we work strip, so I get to see you do some bits repeatedly. Um, and then I get to see you do them on the road when we work together and you're doing the longer versions. Right, right. It, you know, it seems like you're always tinkering. 
How much yeah. are you in your own set? Yeah, oh, you know, it's funny. You know, one of my students actually said that because I, I had a joke that I did and it worked fine. You know what I mean? It was yeah. fine, but it wasn't, it, for me, it wasn't enough. I wanted to go cerebral. I wanted to go a little bit deeper. Um, I don't know if you heard it. It's about um, uh, women play a game called Notice Anything. And um, yeah, and you know, the game's torture because, you know, we have to guess and, you know, and, and you know, your hair, your shoes, your, your shirt, and like, no, no. Now, what I used to, I used to say that they will come out <clears throat> and just do this kind of thing, like that means notice anything. And so I would do that and, and I would add the pressure of her saying, really, you don't see it, it's so obvious. And so I used to, um, uh, the punchline used to be, I changed the drapes and it was good enough. It was good enough. But yeah. then I said, you know what? I'm sure there's, there's, there's something else there. So then I changed it to, it's two weeks till my birthday. So, yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. All right. You, yeah. yeah I, right. I totally get it. Yeah. You know, and how long, now that's a joke that requires the audience to stop, connect and make that, make that connection. Which is tough because then you kind of have to trust the joke. You know what I mean? To kind of like, it has to like land, you know, and land yeah. in that in that good spot where they're like, they get it. Because, you know, because then there's that, that space of, yeah. you know, of nothingness. You know what I mean? Now, and that's got to get across that abyss to, to, to the reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's something I really want to talk to you about because young comics are so afraid of the silence. Yeah. They're so afraid to take that pause on stage. If it's not filled with them talking or laughing, it feels like failure. Yep. How long was it for you where, where you were able to start using, because I often say it's like music. It's not the notes, it's the space between the notes mm -hmm. that, that yeah. gets the reaction. Yeah. You know, how long was it for you before you started being comfortable with using silence? Um, when I started working in, um, in New York and uh, working at the comic strip, there was this manager, you know, Lucian Holt. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, a lot of people don't know this, but he was my manager. And um, I was his first comic he ever managed. Um, ah, yeah. Okay. And um, which, which was really, really cool because he definitely was uh, my, uh, like my Manny from uh, Rocky. He <laughs> let me, he definitely let me work at the club and experiment. And he said to me, listen, don't worry about not getting laughs. Um, I really want to see you develop because he also saw me as a performer too. And, he, and we would have like conversations off stage and he knew I had a little more depth to me. And, and he just kept pushing that saying, you know what, you really have to, you know, put your, put more of your personality in, you know, in your set. And so what he did, which was like, it was grueling. He told me that leave the microphone in the stand and don't move at all. And that was so difficult because I was very intimate. Yeah. And then that, then it taught me that a lot, like a lot of the punchlines or a lot of my, my set was me moving around, you know, doing eye movements and making faces and, and things like that. But then he taught me to lean into the joke. So now trust the joke or trust the bit or trust the material. So now if I'm standing there and not moving, so now I have to write you know, more, um, so to speak, on the cerebral side, which also meant that there's going to be some silence in there. So 
it's it's almost like you live by the sword, die by the sword. So I'm putting out those jokes and putting out those bits and um, being comfortable enough that if they don't land, um, you know, it's almost like comfortable enough to, to have the audience think, well, I, I, that's my that's what I that's what I meant to do. Uh, I, that joke yeah. was meant, that joke was meant not to get a laugh. But here's another one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that was like doing jokes in front of, you know, like late night. A lot of those times I was doing late night, two people in the audience, three people in the audience, yep. uh, or maybe six people in the audience, but there's a couple and they're making out so they could care less what I'm talking about, you know. Oh so, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, it was that. It, it took that for me to st- put the microphone in the stand, stand there and kind of like stand in my own stink, so to speak. Yeah, now, it- Here's one of the things that I, I absolutely love that you do is physicality after the punchline. You're, yeah. The way other comics will tag bits verbally, you'll tag them physically. Yeah. Is, yeah. is that something that's written or that just develops on stage? A little bit of both. Um, because, you know, like I said, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an animated, I'm a performer. And, yeah. and I, you know, I got into this to act. And um, I've feel that I should use, you know, all the arsenal that I have. And if I can be physical, and if a punchline is physical, I should use it. Um, you know, once again, that'll make me different from everybody else. But also, too, I enjoy, you know, movement. I, I enjoy being on that stage and being able to, you know, go from one side to the other side, make, like I say, uh, making expressions, making faces, you know, and sometimes a, a punchline is a face you know, or, or an expression, you know, and that, I like that because then I'm using, you know, something else other than my words to get that laugh. Now, one of the things I really love about watching you is you kind of redefine what a high energy comic is. We're used to a high energy comic going up there and barraging words at a million miles an hour and bouncing off the walls. Your energy is always high. You're always doing on stage, but it's more controlled. Hmm. It, 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 it's it's um, for lack of a better way of saying choreographed, orchestrated, yeah. whatever somebody would want to say. How much of that is in your personal script of stand-up, and how much of that is just over time? It's repetition. Um, I try to be in the moment. Um, I've always learned that even though I'm doing these jokes over and over again, but this is the first time the audience is seeing. So I have to understand that, that I have to present these jokes like it's the first time I'm saying them. So to keep them um, fresh, to keep them, so to speak, uh, in, the, in the now, in the moment, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I remind myself that this is the first time I'm gonna say it. So sometimes I may change the inflection of the punchline to kind of remind me, oh, this is, this is new. This is, this is something that they never seen before. And so what may happen is that something physical may come out or um, something may tell me, you know what, you don't need to move on this. You can, you can just, you know, get this point across or you can get this laugh by keeping still. But I, I always remember that I'm in that audience and this is the first time they saw it. So they have to, I have to understand or make it look like it's the first time that I'm saying, which makes, gives that feeling of being spontaneous, which people will definitely, you get that stronger laugh, like, Oh, we didn't expect that. And I'm, giving out thing like, well, you know what? I didn't expect it either. So we're all surprised here, so. Now, 
one of the things I do, I've done it since I started stand-up, when I work with a comic and I, I sit and I watch him, I, I kind of go home and I make notes like, what did I learn? What did I learn by watching yeah. that comic? And the last time you and I worked together, we worked a, a little venue up in Connecticut. I don't know if you remember. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, really cramped, really not a great environment for stand-up. Um, and there guys, are autistic children in the room. Yeah, autistic children in the room. Um, and it was literally set up to be a nightmare. Yeah. You know, and I watched you, you know, and, and I went up and I did what I did. And then, and then you took the stage. And what I watched you do was I watched you have fun right. performing. You, right. you, you just took all the absurdity in. And instead of what most comics do, like, this is going to be miserable. Let me get through my time. Mm-hmm. You decided you were going to have a good time. And yeah. that was, that so came through with the audience. That right. so came through with the audience that they saw you were having a good time. So they had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm an entertainer and that's the whole point. Entertain, you know? And um, I always, you know, I've learned mm-hmm. that I'm at my best when I'm happy. I know a lot of comics who are at their best when they're miserable, that they yeah. have a happy day. You know, I've seen comics just rip a room when they just tell me, like, they spoke with a girlfriend or, you know, they, 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 uh, they got to file for bankruptcy, bankruptcy and I see them get on, yeah, you're sitting on stage and just do phenomenal. I'm just the opposite. Um, I, I like, you know, not to sound corny, but joy. I like bringing joy. And so if I'm joyful, they're having a good time. And I'm having a good time because they're having a good time. And who knows, you know, there, there could be a booker there. There could be another yeah. uh, person there who says, you know, who's never seen me before. And you can say, oh, he'll be great for this thing or, or, or another thing. So you always got to remember that too, that, you know, you never know who's watching. Yeah. I, I remember distinctly in this room, we're both standing to the side and they brought up um, an autistic performer. Right. And you and I both had that, oh, no moment. Right. Like this, this is the worst possible thing you could have done. Yeah. And, and you were just able to let it go. Is yeah. there something you do to manufacture that? Is it you being so in the moment? Do you lose yourself in the act? How do you lose, you know, when you walk into an environment and you know it's not set up to be good? How right. do you lose the, the anger and fear of what the room is and focus on the joy like you do? Well, okay. So, um, what do you have to, you know, people have to understand or young comics have to understand is that when you're the center of tension, you know, you have all the power. Um, you know, usually there's a spotlight on you so you're brighter than everyone in the room. You're on a platform so you're taller or bigger than everyone in the room. And you have a microphone so you're louder than everyone in the room. So you have all this power. And so it's up to you to decide on how you want to uses power, you know, great power comes great responsibility. You know, do you want to take this audience on a journey of this is miserable or guide them and say, listen, I got this, I got this. And I promise you, you know, in this time I'm on stage from 15 minutes to an hour and a half, you know, we're gonna have a good time. I promise you, you're gonna have a good time. And people know that as soon as you get on that stage, probably like the first 10 seconds, people feel that energy. And so, I, I like to uh, uh, leave the room, you know, uh, as my mother taught me, you know, better than I, than I, than I, when I went into, you know what I mean? Like when I go to a hotel room, you know, it's almost like if I see something dusty, I'll wipe it off, you know, like, because it's just, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that is that pressure of, you know, like I said before, someone's going to be watching you. And also too, is that 
I definitely want to leave my mark, you know, anytime I'm in any space. And also, to answer more to that question, is that power also is when you um, state the obvious. And that's even with comedy, too. You know, um, when something weird happens or something, um, you know, out of the norm, someone falls or, you know, a, a, a server drops the drinks or someone sneezes or something, so to speak, out of the norm, you could ignore it, but if people's back, back of people's brains are gonna be like, or, you know, they're gonna be a thought like, well, did they notice that? But if you acknowledge it, you're gonna get that laugh, but it also shows that you're in control of the room. And people are more comfortable with that because they sat down and basically gave that trust to you and say, entertain us. And I've seen you work that on those rare times you do get heckled, which always amazes me. You get heckled less than any other performer <laughs> I have ever seen. The audience just doesn't pipe up. Right. But when they do, you just tend to laugh with them and move right. on. It, yeah. Um, you know what? I know because I have the power. And if I, if I do get heckled, um, it's, it's sinking down to the level. And I refuse to do that. You know, I know what I'm doing. Um, I've been doing it for many, many years. And a lot of times, um, even if when I don't say anything or just give a look, you know, that's very powerful. And I see people cower, you know, um, because someone will, you know, heckle me and say something stupid or whatever. And I was looking at them like, really? Really? And they're like, oh, uh, you know, and I just move on. So, and that's also teaching the next person who's, who feels that, you know, feeling, you know, that they can let something go, whatever, they're gonna rethink that, you know? So, yeah, I definitely have the power and I, and I definitely use it to my advantage. Now, one of the things that, to me, separates the good comics from the great comics is good comics generally tend to focus on funny, but the material is overwhelmingly negative. The material is overwhelmingly, well, this sucks, let's make fun of this. Right. Um, and when you get to the great comics, they're able to bring in the other level of emotions, the joy, the happiness, the fun, right. Right. Um, which is something that not only do you bring in, but that seems to be the emphasis of what you do. Your stuff yeah. is, is more joyous and more uplifting. Yeah, you know why? Because I've seen a lot of comics who are that. So why not be an option for people, you know? Um, you know, you get those comics like, okay, let me tell you something else that sucks. And, you know, and they're good. I, I am not taking anything away from them at all. They're incredible. But my, my style, you know, like if you want to talk music, is, you know, that kind of, you know, jazzy, um, uplifting kind of uh, um, entertainment or that kind of a genre, if, if you will. Now, you and I have, have, uh, have had the jazz conversation many a time in many back rooms. Uh, yeah. and, and we both are of the philosophy that it's not just about building to a big crescendo. Like most comics, just, you know, funnier, faster, louder throughout the course of their set, whereas you and I both feel that like with jazz, there's high moments, there's low moments, there's low key yep. parts, there's rests. Yep. Um, and have you structured your act that way or it just developed that way? It just, you know, it's funny, it just developed like that. You know, it's really funny because um, years ago, Ted Alexandro, great comic, mm -hmm. yep. he was a musician, by the way, yep. um, we were just talking, I, got, I just got off stage and we we're talking, he goes, your timing's like a, 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 jazz, a jazz guy, you have jazz timing. You do. Uh, what? And I, I, I didn't understand what he was saying. He goes, yeah, the way that you, 
you, you uh, um, execute your material is in a jazz kind of way. And which makes a lot, you know, makes a lot of sense because subconsciously I probably am, you know, doing my sets or doing, you know, my uh, material, you know, in a, in a crescendo or in a, in a build up way. My, you know, here's my next number. Um, you know, here, here's, here's the verse, here's the chorus, you know, yeah. here's the bridge, you know, and here's the yeah. chorus. And then boom, I'm on, I'm on to the next, I'm on to my next selection. <laughs> now, um, I've known you for many years. And here's what's odd. You're one of the few performers that I know this many years that loves performing more now than mm. when you started. When, when you started, I, I, I always felt that while you, you liked comedy, you were much more in it you know, for the acting and, and much more in it for, you know, the career. Whereas now I just feel like you love being a stand-up. Yes. It, yes. So, you know, it's funny because I, I do a lot of corporate, corporate meetings and corporate yeah. shows and uh, the um, creative director, we work together a lot. And he said to me is that you are more relaxed for the bigger the crowd. Because I, I was doing 6,000 people and mm -hmm. I was doing some stand-up. And I remember it kind of like just, I was so in my element. And I was, my pace was a lot slower, you know, and I was kind of, I'll look in the audience and just smile. And yeah, I, I think I realized that to be a stand-up comic is probably the hardest thing to do, to get into a room in front of complete strangers and, you know, make them laugh. You know, it's, that's, that's, that's amazing. But now that I know over the years that I have uh, an arsenal that I have ammunition uh, material to entertain, you know, from two to 2000 and even 20,000 that um, it's just this feeling of like, I, once again, it may be narcissistic, narcissistic, but that feeling of power that I can take these people anywhere, anyway, or anywhere I want to take them. And um, I want to take them on a, a nice journey. I want to take them on this uh, fulfilled journey where it's it's a complete circle, and they're and they're satisfied and they had a they had a good meal. <laughs> let's um, let's also talk about progressions of rooms because you mentioned corporate events and and six thousand. Um, the first place I ever met you and there's no way on earth you can remember this uh, is Springfield, Massachusetts, two fifty two L. You know it's funny. I do remember that. I do remember, and um, 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 ah, the guy owned it. Um, I want to say he died, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember his name. Yeah, but oh, definitely, in Chicopee, Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, the show was you, me, and Marcy Coyote Rose. Do you remember Marcy Rose? She's a female performer from Western Mass. Um, she died a lot of years back, so, you know, she... Yeah, I'll Google her. Yeah, but... Um, it was the three of us in a horrible one-nighter, uh, 252 Elm, which, again, not set up for great performances. But it was on a Wednesday, right? Yeah. yeah. It was Wednesday night gig. And, yeah, right. and for comics that uh, I think you lived up there at the time. Or oh, yeah. I grew up in Massachusetts, right. Um, but for us, we, we would drive up there. And they would also put you up in the local trailer park, <laughs> which was our hotel. Yeah. It, it, it was it was all the horrors that you could imagine, but what I, I remember most about that is because that's back when you were MC. That's back when you were you were brands. You were still shiny, you know. 
I was still an architect back then. Yeah, yeah, you were. Um, and I, you know, we, we did the gig and I've worked with you there. I've worked with you in large venues. I've worked with you in city clubs. Um, you know, I, I know you've also had the same path as I do, some corporate gigs, some cruise ships, colleges all over the years. And there's different rules for performing to each. I really want to talk to you about corporates because that's the one that most comics have the hardest time bridging. Even when you go to a cruise ship, you're there like, okay, it's just like a club show, but it's clean. Um, mm -hmm. Which for you is absolutely no effort because you do work clean. Right. But, you know, for a corporation, it's 200 people, 2,000 people, 10,000 people that all know each other. Mm -hmm. and, and that's that's the added difficulty. So can you talk us through the process of what you do when you walk into a like-minded room, when you walk into where right. you're the outsider? Right. Okay. So that's a good question, by the way. Um, first, I want to say that there's a, there's a difference between TV clean, cruise ship clean, and corporate clean. Oh, yeah. So, um, and that's just um, uh, even your subject matter. Is, is has to be, so to speak, safe, um, but also funny and you know, kind of poignant, which is very, very tricky. Um, now, there are some, some corporate shows where I got up there and just did material, but a lot of the corporate shows, I host um, their, their meetings and like I'm a facilitator, the MC, so I'll get out there and do some corporate jokes, um, you know, jokes about the company or, you know, inside things. And I usually work with the producer or the writer. And then the tricky part is it's up to me to come up with those ad libs, those little quips to, um, you know, to make it funny or to make it personal, you know, to, to the audience. And a lot of people can't do that because they're, they're under that pressure of thinking like, oh, I can't curse. Um, I got, you know, I can't do talk about things sexual, whatever, because, you know, you're at somebody's job, even though you're in a different building, but you're still at someone's job and HR is there, the CEOs there, their supervisors are there. So you're kind of like the office clown. Um, but with the mindset that right there is HR and right there standing in front, who's about to get go on is the president um, you know, of the company. So you um, just have to, so to speak, um, work with blinders that you're always editing in your head. You know, I was doing, I've been doing it. You're always editing in your head. And even when, <clears throat> I learned too, even when the CEO curses, don't go, don't, I, don't, I don't go down that path. I'll just, I'll kind of like laugh like, oh, <laughs> this guy here. <laughs> because even if you do, you're, you're it's not gonna, you're not gonna get that, you're not gonna get that repeat gig, you're not gonna be asked back. So yeah. it's, um, it's very tricky, it can be done, but it's very, very tricky. And not many of us are out there doing it, but um, it's a lot of fun and it's very, very lucrative. So yeah. I think the reason I, why it is lucrative is because not many people can do it. It's hard, I mean, I, I get the roll off. If Tom Dreesen or you says no, you know, then, then it comes down to mortals like me. Um, <laughs> now for me, when I do it, I have to research it. I have to load myself up with ammo. I have to, you know, I'm researching the company. I'm finding out about the CEO and the CFO and, you know, who's the person that everyone makes fun of at the company. Do you do that kind of research or do you just put everything through the prism of your own act? Well, when I started, um, they kind of gave me a script to, to work with. And, yeah. um, 
as the years go on, I kind of do like a cut and paste kind of thing because pretty much, you know, any kind of corporate company, whatever, their culture is pretty much the same. You know, there's always that one joker from accounting, um, you know, it's all about, you know, getting, did you make incentives last year? And, you know, it's pretty much the same uh, kind of uh, lifestyle, so to speak. And um, so, yeah, I'll just kind of like dip into those, those subject matters and everyone's fine. Everyone's, you know, they get it. Yep. Now, um, let's also talk television because you've done, um, people don't quite understand that there's two types of television gigs. There are the club type of television gigs, like what you and I did uh, for that taping at the Inland Theater. And then there's late night gigs, like Letterman, uh, which you've done. Mm -hmm. So my question is, what's the prep like for each of them? Which one's harder? Which one's more enjoyable for you? Uh, man. Um, okay. So the one that is, is looser is um, like a club setting where the audience is there and you're just doing your set and there's a camera, you know, there's cameras around you. But when you're doing, um, you know, late night, that's, you know, that's for, you're working for a company, so to speak. And now you, there's your comedy, so to speak, has to get approved. And um, they'll see your set and the, uh, the bookers or the producers that, that watch your set, they'll tweak it and ask you, can you do more of this or take, take this section out? And, and then it's up to you to splice together and make it, uh, uh, you know, funny or make it, you know, um, make it, make it work. So there's pressure there. And once you, you know, do the splicing and, and edits and stuff like that to that five, four minute, five minute set, you, um, you become familiar with it. And uh, a lot of comics don't know, but you call you, I'm going to run my set. So you go out into the, um, into the comedy clubs and try to do that set, that set that you edited um, as many as much as possible, as many times as possible. You become comfortable, where you're not in your head thinking, like, okay, don't say that part. I gotta jump to that part. I want to end with this instead of that. So you're not there. It's just it's 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 just so to speak like a routine. Um, it's there's more of a process to it. But then, um, you know, four or five times running running the set, it, it becomes. For me, it becomes the easier and it, it, it flows where I can, you know, I know where to put those inflections to make it look seamless, to make it look like, you know, I've been saying this all along. Now, when you got Letterman and how long did it take you from them saying they want you on the show to the set being developed enough to get on the show? Okay. I, my story is different because I did warm up for Letterman. Yeah. And, yeah. And um, so I just went to Dave and said, I want to do a set. They're like, all right. And so they uh, came to the infamous comic strip on the east side, Upper East Side. And the producers came and saw my set. And I did a longer set, actually. So they can pick. I did like maybe, maybe like a half hour. And they picked, you know, stuff that they liked. They said, we want this bit. We want you this bit, this bit. And so... Um, I'm like, okay, cool, cool. And they knew me. They knew that, I, you know, that I, yeah. I wouldn't, you know, disappoint them or, you know, go off the rails or something like that, you know, throw an audible, an audible in there. So, um, because I was still working there. And um, so, yeah, so they kind of like pick this bit, this bit, that bit. And then I kind of like went to different comedy clubs in New York and I ran the set over and over again. And then boom, I did it. So now, my, next, my next one is, um, I'm going to do Fallon. 
I'm you gonna do valid? Mm -hmm. uh, do you know when you do it valid? No, not yet. I'm, st I'm still in the process, like, you know, the, the whole tweaking thing and all that, so. All right, so. Um, Especially with this thing going on? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you do it from your living room. You do it in Zoom. Yeah, it might be. It might be. And you know what's really funny? I have these doors here. And um, so when I've been doing my, my stand-up sets, I would, uh, I would enter, you know, I would, <laughs> I would come in, you know, like, hey, everybody. <laughs> and make it, yeah, you know. Yeah. Make it a make show. It, like an entrance, you know. So. <laughs> Let's um let's talk a little bit about uh, all right two questions one is just purely my curiosity the day you did your set did you also warm up the crowd on Letterman the day I did my set did you also do crowd warm up that day oh yeah yeah but see okay so you pulled double duty yeah well I didn't do my set because okay so Letterman it's very interesting I didn't I didn't do stand up um when you warm the crowd um, yeah. It's more, you know, you kind of get the people, you know, what they need to know, like so the rules, you know, don't get up, um, don't yell out stuff, stuff like that, and tell me what to do. And then um, I may say, you know, I may say a couple of things like, hey, you in the shirt, you know, are you in the suit, something like, you know, yeah. kind of like to show them that I can, oh, he's a funny guy, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then, believe it or not, my warm up was three minutes. And wow. Um, yeah. And uh, it was a gig that a lot, you know, a lot of people wanted. Yeah. And but Dave was very, very, you know, no, 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 no. But anyway, so, um, and then I introduced uh, Paul Schaefer in the band, and then I introduced Dave, and then show starts. So. Wow. All right. So, here's uh, now you've done audience warm up for other shows as well, have you not? Yeah, Spin City, um, Young Cusack show, um, 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 who's the Irish guy? Uh, Burn. Um, uh, I know you know what I'm talking about. He's not necessarily a funny dude, but they uh, they gave him a um, a, a sitcom. Um, Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. Which was really interesting because I was doing warm up for Rosie O'Donnell and Letterman, and Letterman didn't like that. So they pressured the producers of Rosie O'Donnell and said, uh, yeah, we got to let you go. I'm like, what? So, I, uh, yeah, I was exclusive for Letterman. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. That, that, yeah. that was very, very interesting how, how it worked. And uh, a funny story, when I, the, the very first day um, I did Letterman, um, when I um, host, I mean, um, did the warm up for it. Um, so, you know, his routine is that, it's, you know, he comes out before the, the show starts, you know, to kind of like get the audience like, oh, he's real. And what he'll do, he always gets out a canned ham. And um, so they told me, Biff, you know, a lot of people tell me, okay, you know, get ready with the canned ham, canned ham. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. So the canned ham is over here to the side. And so he's talking to some lady or whatever, and he goes, Larry, get this lady a canned ham. You know, and I'm standing my arms folded, and he's like, Larry, get this lady a canned ham. And I'm like, somebody better get Larry. Larry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, it's my first day. You know, yeah. I'm not doing anything, you know. So apparently I'm not trusted, you know, to give up the canned ham. I guess Larry is the canned ham dude, you know. So I'm like, all right, well, Larry. Dave's calling you, Larry, bring it out there. And he's like, Larry. And he looks at me, goes, Larry. And I'm like, me? <laughs> and I'm like, and I said to him, like, no, my name's Wally. I'm not Larry. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. So I come out and get the ham, whatever. But that was just instinctive. But it was yeah. really funny because then, you know, he, 
kind of like looked at me like, oh, you're different. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm here to do a gig, man. I'm not, you know, anyone special or different. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to cause problems, man. I'm just, just trying to do a gig. So. Now you were saying the three minute warm up on, um, three minute warm up on Letterman. Is it the same on other shows or is every show different? Okay, so talk shows, they pretty much uh, follow um, a routine where um, they try to stay in real time. And um, so you get out there and you get out there and you talk to the audience three, five minutes, something like that. Basically to warm them up, to kind of get them settled, like I said, give them the rules and get them in that mode of like, all right, we're about to get entertained, but in a confined space with these, with these rules, whatever. And then I was the guy that told him when to clap, when not to clap, more laughter or more applause or whatever. Kind of like leading an orchestra. Yeah. And um, so that's late night talk show. And then you have a daytime talk show, which is a little bit looser. Um, you kind of like go between the um, commercial breaks, you kind of can go in the audience and kind of like play with the audience. Uh, now sitcoms, that's a gig, bro. That is a gig. That's hard. That's real hard because um, when I was doing Spin City, you have probably, oh man, maybe 20 minutes of warm up to get them. You can do stand up, but that lasts for so long. And also, too, there's some people who will come every week to watch, you know, the uh, the taping of a particular show. So you had to be um, pretty, you know, uh, um, you know, writing new material every week or, you know, pretty clever and, you know, very spontaneous. I chose spontaneous and being clever. And that helped me, you know, when I do stand up now is like, you know, being in the moment. And so, and also um, after every scene, the director may say, we're going to do it again. And so now they saw the jokes already, but you got to get them to laugh at the same jokes. And um, which is really crazy because the director may say again, let's do it again because some may flub a line, a camera guy, you know, may, they may miss the cue of the cameras. Uh, a light may have flickered. Um, someone may drop something in the background. Some of the audience could have sneezed. There's so many uh, reasons why they may do retakes. So you kind of have to tell the audience, okay, look, this is the magic of TV. And you tell them, listen, you know, and I, t I would tell them that they're part of the show. Their laughter is the show. If you don't hear laughter, then what's the point of being here? So this is part of the, you know, the, the TV magic. Now, millions of people are going to see this, but you, 100 people, whatever, are the ones that are going to make the show. So if you hear the joke again, that's no problem because you're going to laugh anyway because you know what? You're part of the magic. And so they were like, all right, cool. Now, this will go on. Man, it's a half hour show, maybe four or five. Um, the longest I did was, I think, it was seven hours mm. of, um, you know, a sitcom. Yeah. And because retakes, takes and retakes. And that seven hour show was the, um, the, the show with uh, Spin City with uh, Michael J. Fox. That was his final show. And that mm -hmm. was the hardest warm up gig I ever had because, you know, everyone knew why he was leaving. And there wasn't a dry eye in, in, you know, in the building. But I had to be Joe Jokester, you know, yeah. like, hey, you know, let's keep it light, you know. I'm like, no, the guy, you know, people, even, the, you know, the, the crew, everyone's just, you know, crying. I don't. You know, I don't blame them. I don't. I get it, but you know, I had, but I had it like, so to speak, state the obvious. I'm like, wow, you know what? I think I should, I should get more money because you know, I'm trying to make people, you know, in this sad moment, be happy. 
you know, something, you know, something along those lines. But, um, but yeah, it was a tough gig. So then I made the mistake because I thought I had this brilliant idea that out of my own pocket, I would throw out candy to people, you know, as like treats to kind of get them like, Hey, you know, we're getting, we're getting candy. So I would go to, um, uh, uh, I think it was It's Sugar or something place that had like all the you know the penny candy you'd scoop it up you know and, and I had like the um, cellophane things whatever and I told them look don't open the cellophane while the show was going out and we, we, when they cut open up your candy so they got that so I'm um, you know passing out all this candy right so probably two hours into taping everybody would crash <laughs> it's great those two hours people were like Wah! and then <laughs> Do I hear? Oh, and I'm like, why is going? And I realized, oh man, they had the sugar rush. In there. <laughs> so I had to stop doing that. But um, yeah. I thought it was brilliant. You know, so. Yeah, you just needed to bring a lot more candy. <laughs> yeah, just keep shoving it. Yeah, there's more candy. Like a trough of candy. You know? Yeah, just, uh, just keep flinging it in between takes. Yeah, right. So then I actually went natural and got them vitamins. You know, and just, yeah. <laughs> oh. So let's talk about your writing process. Okay. How does, do you write by inspiration? Do you, do you have a schedule? For instance, I'm on the school where I write every day for at least an hour a day. See, I'm not that diligent like that. Um, I try to be, to write, you know, at least an hour every day, but it was just frustrating for me because, you know, my mind didn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So my, my ideas come like in tsunamis. There's like, you know, ebb and flow. There's a drought, yeah. and then there's this deluge of ideas. So, um, and it took me a while to trust that process. And, um, you know, and say, this is, this is you, Wally. This is how you work. So, yes, in the beginning, I was trying to sit down and write every day for an hour. But that process just wasn't working for me. And so um, now I'll get these ideas. It's just this flood of ideas. And I'll just write it, I'll put it in my phone and I'll come back to them. And um, then I'll perform them on stage. Now, do you do most of your writing on stage or do you do most of your writing off stage? I write like, I, I write like a musician. Um, I'll have a melody and a, a bridge and a chorus mm-hmm. loosely. And I'll get on stage and kind of like tinker, you know, like ding, ding. What do you think it is? Ding, 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 ding. You know what I mean? And if they're kind of like, that's kind of cool. All right, all right. I was thinking about this with the bridge. Ding, 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 ding. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. And then I'm like, what do you, okay, how about this? Bing, 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 bing for the course. And so that's the setup and then the punchline. And it, depending on the laugh, if I get that really strong laugh, um, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm onto something. And if it's not getting a laugh at all, usually it's, <laughs> it was one of those things that was funny in my brain. Yeah. But um, like, what, where's the disconnect? And I realized that I have to, so to speak, explain the setup a little bit more to understand, you know, to get the connection that I got to get to the punchline. So your process is, is almost completely opposite mine. Yeah. Where I develop everything on the page and then I bring it to the stage and, and just chisel off the, the loose fitting pieces. Yeah. It, it seems like you're actually sculpting on stage. Yeah. Now, do you do that by getting off stage, taking a series of notes on what worked, what didn't work? Do you do it by memory, you know, and repetition? Or are you actually recording, watching, and adjusting when you're off stage? Okay, so yeah, so um, I'll have 
So of course I have my set, you know, that I'll get on stage mm -hmm. and I'll have maybe two or three bits that I want to work on. Mm -hmm. And what I'll do before I go on, maybe an hour before, or, you know, or a couple minutes before, I'm like, okay, I want to do this bit, this bit and this bit, and so to speak, interject, like kind of like put them in the sauce, you mm -hmm. know, um, of, of the set. And, um, and I record myself, I, I put my phone in my back pocket or put it on the ledge or whatever. And, um, yeah, and I'll just throw it out there. And sometimes, man, those things will just fall flat. Woo! Or I'll get that laugh and uh, I'm like, okay, I'm onto something, I'm onto something. And um, so, yeah, so I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be in the um, subway or the taxi or whatever going home and I'll listen to it. And I'm like, why did I fall flat? Why did I fall flat? And sometimes, man, it's just that I'll just, so to speak, swallow a word. You know what I mean? I'll kind of like mumble through a word and I didn't enunciate. Or, or it could be, um, or could be just a word that it's too wordy. Um, take, out the, take out a syllable, you know, the, the, the rhythm of it, it's just not right. So, um, or the inflection or where I put the comma or where I put the period. So, um, but that is, you know, repetition. Um, if I'm uh, blessed to have another set or a set after that, I'll uh, make that tweak and try it again and see, see what's going. And sometimes um, a bit maybe take me to a whole nother direction. And I'm like, oh, I didn't see that, you know? So mm. for me, that's the joy of it. It's yeah. almost like, um, you know, unfolding, a, you know, a gift or a surprise on stage and um, something magical will happen. And, you know, I become, I'm the genius. <laughs> yeah, the creation is, is the most fun part. Right. You talked about changing a syllable or a word or an inflection. Yeah. Um, I don't think people that haven't been on stage realize how delicate the ecosystem of performing is. Now, I love that, the eco ecosystem, that is so true. That yeah. is so true. I, I, you know, and you know this, that, you know, uh, hard consonants, you know, yeah. knuckle, pickle, you know, those are funny words. Why? It's just uh, the English language. So you, you understand that those words are, um, you know, important or how those words are structured are important. So yes, a syllable definitely makes a difference. You know, like Jerry Seinfeld, you know, you, you listen to him and after a while, you know, being a comic, you can break down, you know, his rhythm. You can break down his, his word choices. And it's almost like watching a magic trick and then going, going on YouTube and seeing how it's done. You're like, oh man. That's it. So the same thing with Jerry is that you can tell he uses less words as possible, but the very, very choice words. Yeah. Now, performers have been here a long time. Sometimes look at the older material that, that we've done, the stuff that you first started out with, you know, and I, I tell everybody you're doing it 10 years and you're still doing the stuff you wrote in your first year, you were either a genius or you're an idiot. It's one of those. Lazy. Yeah, it has to be true. But it's also, I find you learn as you do, mm -hmm. you know, for, for performers. And that's with us being on stage. But that's also for us writing. We learn as we do. Right. So, so when you look back at the older bits, do you ever get the urge to just, like when you look at tapes from you and then whatever decade, um, do you get the urge to just go, man, I want to bring that back now? Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's kind of like when you go in your closet and you see a shirt 
and you're like, oh, I still love that shirt. And you throw that shirt back on, and you're like, because it brings back good memories. You're like, yeah. oh, it still fits, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, there, there have been times when um, I have uh, blew the dust off a bit, and I probably would modify it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I definitely still had the essence of it and the point I was trying to make, but I would, um, you know, spruce it up, uh, 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 you know, make it a little more um, topical, so to speak. But the, 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 the root of it, the, the, uh, the bones of it were, were there. Now, you do an awful lot of hosting right down to um, what moved you to New York, which was, I believe, Stand Up Stand Up? Right. Wow. Yeah. You, uh, you hosted that. And, uh, uh, first time I brought you on stage at the comic strip and I introduced myself to you, you went, wow, I just brought you up today, <laughs> which has stuck with me all of these years. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I bring that up because hosting is more about personality. It's more about infusing yeah. and giving of yourself. And a lot of comics are really guarded, but you from day one, you know, nope, fuck it. I'm Wally. This is who I am. Nice to meet you. Mm -hmm. and, and you've brought your personality to it. Do you think that's one of the reasons why you get the corporate hosting gigs? You've gotten the TV hosting gigs. You do the warm up stuff. You know, it took a while for me to get into my own skin, believe it or not. Um, I would put out there what people thought Wally Collins was supposed to be. Right. And probably 10 years ago, maybe maybe 15 years ago, I, I became me um, where um, my, you know, I was able to slow down. I was able to, like I say, you know, stand in my own stink, so to speak, and be comfortable with it. Yeah, I tried to do the Def Jam thing and I, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not that, you know, and I tried other venues and um, I realized that I'm, I'm just me and um, I'm the kind of the personality or the entertainer that uh, performs the best when it's the, when it's a diverse audience. Um, when there's when there's you know Latin, Asian, white, black, mixed, gay, transgender, whatever, um, I'll touch on those subjects too. And um, <clears throat> yeah, and, and when I see that, and that it only proves to me that you know what we all can this and sound so corny but it is a you comedy is a universal thing you know comedy is is a, a conduit to you know just just you know having a good time and bring oh my god bringing peace bringing joy so yeah um you're comedy and and for me and, and i'm an outsider watching you but i've also been a fan for a lot of years. I really appreciate that, man, because you're you're a very, very good writer. You're very prolific in, in what you've done, very accomplished. And you saying that, man, I really, I really do. I, sincerely, I really appreciate that. No, I mean, it's not often that I, I go into a room, and when I go into a room to watch a comic, I'm going there to learn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every time you're in the club with me, I'm on, you know, I watch when you're on stage. You're not one of those people that, oh, that was a good time for me to have a soda. <laughs> you know, there's an awful lot of comics that it's a really good time for me to have a soda. Um, but pre 9-11, mm -hmm. there, there, there seemed to be a lot more need for you to please the audience. Mm -hmm. and, and the Wally yep. of the last two decades, for me, just seemed to like want the audience to come to where you are. Yep. That's so, oh my God. 
Exactly. Oh my God, you have been watching. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's, I have nothing else to add. Exactly. Now, having done both, you know, is it more satisfying for you now? Do the bits oh, yeah. work out better? Yes, it's less work. And then it's, <laughs> and you know, well, the less work is always a bonus. Yeah. And it comes like, you know what? It felt like I was living a lie. I felt I was, you know, cheating myself and the audience, you know what I mean? And, um, and then, and it wasn't, I wasn't being unique, you know, I just wasn't being unique. And, you know, I do want to be that comic or the entertainer where they say, oh, that Wally Collins. Now that's Wally Collins. I, I always believe that, the, the great ones um, develop and become, they become a type. You know, he's a Cosby type. He's a Seinfeld type. He's a Carlin type. You know, uh, he's a Chappelle type. He's a David Tell type. He's a Rock type. You know, I think that's when it's the most, um, uh, 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 the biggest compliment when you're, um, you become a type. And there are a couple of times when someone said like, there's a comic and, 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 and they're like you. You know, and, and, and I think that's a, a, a nice compliment. Yeah, that, that is a great compliment. Yeah. We, um, we all kind of start because we fall in love with comedy. Mm-hmm. When did you know that this was what you wanted to do? Uh, I think the very first time I stepped on stage um, because I said a joke and I got a laugh. And that was like, oh, all these people laughed at me. You know, I got, I got immediate reaction. And... As you know, that's like hitting a crack pipe for the first time, you know, that, yeah. that bell goes up like, oh, you know, and so now you want, you want that, uh, that power again, you know, you want that yeah. control, you know, you try to do it as, as many times as much as possible. Now, in 2007, as part of the Underground Festival, we brought Franklin a giant, um, and you and I were squarely standing in the back watching him and fanboying out. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, well, the whole generation of comics were looking like, who's this guy? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let, let's let's talk about influences. Let's talk about if you were going to tell a young comic who they need to watch in order to get better. Because Franklin's one of those people that I would point out to a youngster and say, you need to go online and watch what this man does. Watch what he did in his twenties. Watch what he's doing now in his fifties. Yes. You know, and, and see what see about him. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's the comics that you would point to? Well, okay. So, first of all, um, I would tell them, watch as much comedy as possible. Male, female, watch as much as possible. Because, you know, anything, anyone that does anything well, um, you, you learn from that. Um, yeah, that there. Um, there are comics who did an amazing arc. Um, Carlin did an amazing arc. Um, he went from, you know, this type to that type, um, prior actually, he, yeah. he, um, he saw, um, he wanted to be Cosby and his, you know, his first, I think his first Ed Sullivan set was just about as clean as could be, you yeah. know, and, and wholesome, you know, and, um, but then, you know, he, you, you see that arc, you know, um, who else? Lenny uh, Bruce arced. Say it again. Lenny Bruce had a tremendous arc. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, we, we try to go, so to speak. You know, there's another thing, too, is that, and I, I, it breaks my heart, is that comedy, there's so many comedians now, and it's, it's gotten saturated, and it's almost lost its, its uh, intensity. 
and mm. Netflix has, you know, just throwing, just kind of like just throwing these comics up against the wall. And after a while, you start seeing the same type of comic, you know, and it's really sad, you know, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the female comics, you know, get up there, you know, it's, it's something sexual, um, you know, it's something about breaking up the boyfriend or, or something that has to do with a body part or something like that. Um, Wanda Sykes, you know, she never did that. You know, she, she I, I mean, I, I know Wanda for years and, you know, her arc, it wasn't necessarily an arc. It's kind of like, she's, you know, she just got better, you know? Yeah. And um, if, she, if she did talk about, you know, the time when she was married, you know, but it wasn't, you know, so it wasn't sexual. She'll like just interject, you know, you know, what's going on and in her life, you know what I mean? So telling these young comics, yeah, watch as much as you can. And even when you watch as much as you can, you're, you're gonna start to see a pattern. You're gonna start to see like, oh, that's the same thing. You know, in fact, I was watching comedy with my wife yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. And um, it was so funny because it was frustrating for her because I was saying the punchline because I knew what was coming. Yeah, you know, and she's like, "You stop!" I'm like, "Come on, you you've been in the game with me long enough to know that that's where it's gonna, you know, that's where it's gonna land, you know." So <laughs> it's um it's gonna it's it's tricky, but you're gonna find those comics and who are unique, who are different, who are clever, um, who who are like the, those sentence surgeons, who so to speak take their life and and take you on this journey where you want to know more about them. And you're like, oh, you know, and when it ends, you're surprised. You're like, oh shoot, I want to I wanna hear more. And that's when you Google them. That's when you go to YouTube and, and, and find out more about them. But um, yeah, that's, you know, that's the, the best advice I got for you. Now, I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit because you're talking about cookie cutter comics and female comics doing stuff that's particularly sexual. I know you're not advocating don't don't have a sexuality on stage or don't be oh, sexual. Right, right, You're right. talking about don't be the same as everyone else. Right, exactly. Don't exactly. touch the same thing yeah, as exactly, everyone else. Exactly. And if you do, <laughs> make it different, make it clever. You know, put it put it in a, in, a, in a certain way that, you know, people haven't heard it before. You know, like I said in the beginning, why should people pay the hard-earned money to see you? You know, what makes you funny, funniest or funnier than the comic before you, the comic after you? You know, what's what's going to make those that audience um you know at the end of the show you know go to your ig page or go come to you at the end of the show and say you know you were good and it's not necessarily that you get the best laughs you know because there have been times when i you know i'm doing a um, a showcase with other comics and i did i didn't get the strongest laughs but people came to me and said we enjoyed your material yeah and it's like oh okay so um, <clears throat> And yeah, um, you know, yeah, doing sexual jokes. No, and I also tell comics too, write clean first and then use cursing as a season. Yeah. Because uh, um, Pryor did that. I mean, there's so many comics that do that. Because if you land on um, curse to be the punchline, when they tell you, you gotta work clean, I've seen comics just, oh, I mean, just, just like terrifying. I'm like, oh, I can't work, I don't know how, how to work clean. I'm like, well, you know what? You gotta learn how to write clean. Yeah, and it's funny because when you can do it clean, when you do even a curse, nobody notices. Mm. You know, I, I've done church shows where they want, are you going to do the, the, the cursing bit? Because I have a bit about how cursing's lost its power over the years. In the bit, I say fuck 11 times. 
Wow. You know, within the course of it, but it's never in the punchline. It's always in the setup. Right. So it, it lost all of its power. And um, they're like, well, well, no. And there's a reason why I'm not doing it in this church function, you know, but I'll, I'll tell you where you can find it online. You yeah. know, it's, it's one of the most amazing things when you have the ability to work clean that you, you get leeway when you want to just push the envelope yeah. a little bit. Oh, right? yeah, definitely. And, you know, and it, the cleaner you are, you know, now you have to be a little more clever in your stuff. Yeah. You know, and that, that'll make you such a better comic and such a, a stronger comic because now you have to get that, that laugh from an actual joke, you know, and not, like I say, leaning on the curse word to, um, you know, to get that, that reaction. Now, when I started, I had a whole lot of um, really great comics reach back and teach me early on. And right. I think, you know, um, you and I, because essentially I know you started up in Mass but you came down here very early in your career. We've always been around comics that were much better than us at the time. Um, who were some of the people that reached back and helped you a lot when you first started? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, my journey, and I didn't realize um, how uh, blessed I was or how um, amazing the journey that I had because I started in Massachusetts, then I... You know, I started in Springfield, Massachusetts, then I went east and worked out in Boston. And um, there were so many incredible writers, incredible comics out in Boston that I would, I would watch and just be in awe. You know, Kenny Rogerson, uh, Don Gavin, uh, Steve Sweeney, um, you know, uh, 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 Lenny Clark. Um, just, there are just all these, you know, incredible writers that, you know, that I was like, wow, all right, Louis C.K. Louis, Louis and I started the you know, same, um, but, you know, I watched these, uh, um, uh, Dennis Leary, I, I'm, as I talk, I'm getting these up, I'm yeah. up. But, um, so I, I just remember just sitting, you know, and watching them and getting, just, just getting all this information, just getting all this, uh, you know, all these nutrients, you know, you know it, just, just absorbing that. I'm like, wow, wow, wow. Not understanding or realizing that it wasn't like that in the rest of the country. You know, these comics were like strong comics. And then, you know, I got lucky and, or whatever, the stars were in alignment and I got the gig in New York. And then I started working in New York clubs. And I'm, that's when I was like, my brain just went. I, um, when I started doing stand-up, I used to host shows in Springfield, Massachusetts. And those, and those New York comics would come to Springfield. And I would watch them, and um, but I would see you know bits of them. You know what I mean? I would see them. I wouldn't see them, so to speak, in their element, or watch watching them fail, watching them work out a bit. But when I went to New York and I saw them, you know, actually working out, that's what I'm saying. It was just like, oh my god! And so that even you know I got drawn into it even more, just watching the process. Um, Rick Avilas was one of those comics that I thought, um, a lot of people don't know Rick Avilas, he was the ghost, mm -hmm. I mean, he was the, the, the villain in Ghost. He was a stand-up comic, people, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, now he was very animated. He was very, very um, uh, performance. His material wasn't like, you know, oh my God, I never thought of that. But he was just so entertaining. And um, I learned that from him. He says, use what you got. If you're, in a, if, you know, if you got, if you can move your body, move your body, a lot, a lot of people can't do that. You know, um, another guy, Rondell Sheridan, um, you know, he was more of the Cosby-ish, 
Um, but he was a great writer and he understood that. And he gave me the advice, like, you know, write clean, write clean, you can go a lot further, writing clean. Um, and then, uh, let's see, there's uh, uh, Carol Montgomery, another comic who was just understood that, you know, you know what, what you write, how you write, and she wrote about herself, you know. Um, let's see, I just, there's so many. But, going, but then going into New York, like I said, there were so many comics who didn't come to Springfield that I would just absorb and watch. Um, and then when I got, you know, so to speak, in my, so to speak, I guess in my class of comics, you know, um, I worked at the, um, the Boston Comedy Club and working at the Boston Comedy Club, man, the comics that went through there, yeah, and you know the deals, Chappelle, Tony Woods, Keith Robinson, Wanda Sykes, Jay, Jay Moore, John Stewart, Louis C.K., Sarah Silverman, uh, David Tell, um, uh, the Ray Romano, um, uh, you know, and th the crazy thing was that we would go on right after one another. Uh, Red Giant, a fat guy, um, you know, and, and, and it was one of those things, uh, uh, Helen Keeney, um, that we would, yeah, we would go on after one another. And, you know, it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't a competitive thing. It was a thing where, you know what, that was a good joke. And it was, just, it was an inspirational thing. It was just an encouraging thing. You know, you're like, wow, you know, I want, you know, that was a good set. I got to bring it. And you get up there. And let me tell you, man, Friday and Saturday nights, oh, man, the list of comics that I'm not even, even mentioning who, you know, who would blow the, just, just, you know, blow the room out. And then the next comic would just blow the other side of the room out. You know what I mean? And, and people didn't understand or never really saw the greatness. Some did actually, but they would like leave and like, oh, it's a good show. Like, yo, you're not going to see a show like that anywhere else on this planet. So, yeah. So if I'm, I was in, in that, you know, and, and it was just all around me and that's all I saw was just, just incredible, incredible comedians just doing their thing. That is awesome. Wally, you've been really generous with the information and yeah, advice, and, and we've spent an hour, and I could easily spend another four. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, if people want to find you post-pandemic, where do they find you? W-A-L-I, Collins, C-O-L-L-I-N-S, on um, all the three, the Holy Trinity, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, yeah, um, you can see me on Netflix. I have a show, uh, I work on a show called The, the Get Down. Um, I have a film with uh, Stanley Tucci on uh, Hulu called Submission. Um, hopefully when this uh, craziness is over with, uh, I got a comedy series that I'm pushing and uh, hopefully that'll be uh, somewhere. And uh, let's see what else am I doing. Um, yeah, I'm just being patient. Yeah, we're all being patient. Well, right. I thank you so much. And thank we you for having me, man. I really enjoyed it, man. Yeah, me too. And we, we, we will do this again. Promise? <laughs> yeah, I promise. All right. All right, as long as long as I have the, as long as I have a Zoom, we can make okay. this happen. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon, Wally. Yes, sir. One of the most fun takeaways for this interview with Wally was talking about the changes and talking about being in the moment on stage. And as somebody who's a very natural performer, his ability to listen to the audience and not be so scripted, um, and how that even infuses into his writing. There's so much to learn from so many of the great performers of, of this generation. And next week, we'll be back with another wonderful performer. Until then, 
please uh, like and subscribe on all the podcast platforms. Uh, you can always see the video podcast on YouTube, which is amazing. You should see their faces and the joy when they're talking about stuff. But until next week, this is the Comedy Legacy Podcast. I'm Jim Andrinos. Goodbye, everybody. Comedy Worldwide Production.